You're listening to Changing Gear on Radio Veritas. Remember, you can call in now on 011-452-7115. We'd love to hear your views. Don't forget to give your name when you call in. Tell them that you're calling in for Changing Gear. We're talking about hashtag EvolveSA. Um, and remember, you can also SMS your questions to 41809. 41809. If you want to uh, send your questions via SMS, feel free to do that. We're taking your calls. Uh, let's hear what you have to say. Um, we're talking about education in the doozy. You yes, just uh, thought I should uh, mention that um, we know that the curriculum has become very, very prescriptive uh, over the last uh, few years uh, because of a, lo- a lot of um, research that came saying that uh, our teachers lack content knowledge and there's very poor preparation for lessons. And I think it's very important that we, we as educators, um, to a certain extent, um, counter that mm. and start uh, bringing our own selves into the classroom. Because that's, that's something that's lacking with the present um, discourse around education. Teachers are very worried about uh, the pace of the curriculum and how uh, comprehensive it is. They've got to finish this by this and this time. And we leave children behind. And I think that's our challenge as an education system. At the moment, I think a good education system always believes in the professionalism of its teachers, mm. and a really good education systems around the world are ones that are going to give teachers the the right to be creative in their classrooms. Um, and I think that also, Kathy, speaks to some of the gap between the haves and the have-nots, because I think one of the features you will find in high-performing schools is a greater degree of independence and choice on the part of the teachers and you know, when you work in the schools that don't have the resources, very often the teachers there are more worried about uh, following the script. Um, and in fact, uh, the department requires them to follow the script. Um, and they get into trouble sometimes for not following the script. And it takes quite a brave principle to give their teacher, her teacher's freedom to, to experiment in that regard. Um, Matilda, you, your view on that idea that Ndudusi's just spoken? Um, you know, I'm listening to when, when you're saying um, it would be good for teachers to give, for principals to give their teachers, you know, that, that freedom. Uh, but it then goes back in our case, for instance. Um, that may be very difficult in the sense that um, we are this subsidized school. Correct. And because we are subsidized, therefore we have to follow what, you know, the 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 curriculum is prescribed and therefore that limits that freedom that you know Duduzi is talking about mm. and therefore we have to do things according to you know to the, the, prescription, the prescription to the script yes um and yet it would be good you know because you have kids in that room who are diverse who have their different um abilities and skills and it would be good to have teachers being able to can conduct their lessons freely, you know. I think if you look at theories of change management and how one brings about change in schools, um, one starting point is to say to teachers, I'm giving you one period this week. This is your free period. This is your period to be creative. This is your period to do whatever you want to do in your class. Just for that 40 minutes or however long your periods are, just do something different. Just try it. And 
again, as part of change theory, one of the things we learn is that um, success breeds success. So, you know, and I know that when we tried to introduce integrated studies at Sacred Heart, when we started going down the road of a 21st century curriculum at my school, we did it by just having one period a week. Uh, that was the special lesson period, the project-based learning period. Um, and, and that also gives teachers chance to experiment. It gives ch- teachers chance to fail because teachers also need to fail to learn. And um, it gave us the ability to start to break out. Um, so now, of course, we have far more time in our, in our week devoted to that. Um, and uh, ideally, eventually, we will get to having the whole day devoted to, to just a project-based approach or, or an individualized learning approach. The problem always comes down to the fact that at the end of grade 12, they still have to write that exam, you know. And so as much as you want to be creative, as much as you want to have a, a critical learning process in your school, you're failing the children if you don't prepare them for that exam. And, and in my opinion, the matric exam measures whether you can write the matric exam and nothing else. Um, you know, I might be quite controversial in holding that view. I think the universities are experiencing very much the fact that the matric exam is more and more not a good predictor of how children are going to do at university or whether they're going to pass. You get kids with very good marks in matric who end up in university and can't get above 10% for the subject, uh, despite having got 70s for it at school, because you can coach children to write an exam. You can't teach them to think at the same time. You know, I, I don't know whether I'm being ridiculous. I mean, maybe you can do both at the same time, but I, Kathy's nodding. What, what is your view, Kathy? Um, um, I'd like to challenge you on Good. that. Um, Colin, because I think that I agree with you. There is a tension in the sense that the workplace and tertiary education look to a good matric to place children, to young people. To, and this is international, whether it is the International Baccalaureate, whether it's the Cambridge exams, whether it's the American matric exam, whether it's the IBTs. There's always going to be an exam a summative assessment. But I think that if we look at the leaps and bounds that have happened with the metric exam over the last two, three decades, the fact that there are laboratories and practicals and portfolios that do somehow get a little bit of um, CAS, the, the continuous assessment, I think that it would be wrong to say that the IB metric exam doesn't tell ch- uh, um, teach children how to or assess whether they can think or whether the English exam doesn't um, teach them you know, thinking skills as well. Um, so I do feel um, that we can't knock it completely. There always no, has to be a no, benchmark. I'm, I'm taking an extreme yes, view, yes. Which is not surprising. Yes. Um, but I also think that measurement has to change. Um, assessments do have to change in terms of the process and not um, bias uh, children who are not coached yes, for so exams. If I think about the scholarship tests we ran last weekend... As an example, so in the past, traditionally, children would have arrived at our school. We would have sat them in a class in rows. Uh, we would have put a English exam paper and a maths exam paper. And, and that's not to say, I mean, if you look at some of the questions on those papers, 
they do challenge children to think. They're not. It's not just as rote as you know what I did on my holiday. You know, there there are definite skill sets required in the way in which children are asked questions in those exams. Uh, the the maths exam, for example, is not a grade based exam. It, it's an exam that goes from grade eight to grade twelve, with content right across. And children could be writing the test for a grade eight place, but actually be performing at a grade ten level. And we would know that because the test allows us to measure that. But last weekend was completely different. Last weekend we had children who didn't know each other in groups. Um, doing collaborative story writing, uh, building uh, an engineering piece, uh, a tower using spaghetti and sweets, um, but then having to measure the economic costs. So maybe you can get the tallest tower in the room, but your tower costs three times what the tower that's just a few centimeters smaller than yours cost. Um, and, you know, having to speak, having to um, ch challenge one another, within that in that exam process and we found it enlightening now whether there's validity in that testing is something that we still have to find out you know whether or not that was a good way to test whether children should be given a scholarship or not to sacred art college is going to be an interesting experiment that we are that we are doing in that regard but you know unless you're willing to change things up i don't know whether you um I, I don't know whether whether you ever going to escape. I, I was listening to the doozy. You know, there's a, a very famous report by McKinsey on what makes schooling systems get better. In and they were looking at it at a macro level at countries. How does a country improve its schooling system? And they classified schooling systems based on level of, you know, success. Uh, with the Finnish-Danish model always being held up as the example of the greatest possible education in the world. And they said of schools, of countries that have failing education, and let's be honest, we have a failing education system in our country. And they said of schools that have, of countries that have failing education systems, um, you've got to start with scripted. You've got to start there, you know, and you've got to, the way you bring it up is by having a curriculum that everybody follows and on the same day everybody's doing exactly the same thing. That's how a country moves from a failing education system to a successful one. The difficulty always when we talk about the South African context is the differences, which again, both Matilda and the Duzi, you've spoken about, you know, and Kathy, the haves and the have-nots. Um, you know, and it's easy, I think, to have uh, or to, to be in conversations and discourses about 21st century education when you have the resources and when you can pay teachers in the independent school context, when you can pay for good teachers, when you can pay teachers what they're worth. Nobody ever pays a teacher what they're worth. But, but when you can pay teachers at least enough money that survival isn't uppermost in their mind and that they can start getting out of a poverty mentality and start thinking about how they can change things for their children. You never are going to change that when the when the levels of uh, difference between schools are so great as what they are. And and you know again, Dudzi, you've spoken and and I know you've travelled around our country and seen this in in real life. I think uh, perhaps the challenge is that uh, we must also remember uh, with. Our system, the way the differences and the, the disparities are so uh, so big, 
historically is that um, one size doesn't fit all. Uh, to, to uniformly uh, bring a system where you want everyone to just follow the one system, it's not going to work. Um, and also the, uh, what you said there, Colin, is that um, if you have good um, lesson scripts, perhaps, and you've trained the teachers mm. to a certain extent, co consistent development, um, to be able to handle those lessons. Otherwise, um, they become tick box things where teachers are very scared that when curriculum people come to the school, I uh, must be at this page, and if I'm not there, I'm in trouble. Um, even schools that are performing um, much better than others uh, find themselves in that. So um, surely a little bit of flexibility there and there, a little bit of uh, perhaps strictness there and there is very, very important. So differentiation is very, very important in this, in this kind of things because one size is never going to fit all as far as I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. The one important thing I think that the teachers are challenged to do is to teach to the strengths of the children all the time, especially in a class of 50 or 60. Uh, where do you get that? How do you uh, get that balance? Very, very, very uh, important, I think. Yeah, Matilda, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think I, I, I would still um, emphasize the issue of having to do things differently. You know, when we, I'm trying to think of the issue of the final assessment at the end, um, where, you know, going, doing things by the book, you, here's a memorandum, it says, this is the answer. And if a child comes up with a different answer, you know, I would think of in a language situation where a, a question is a literary literature question. It says, what is the theme of, 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 of this particular story? And the memo says, this is the theme. But a child comes up with something a different. different. Answer. And then what do we say? Do we um, deprive that learner simply because it is not what is written on the memo. On the memo. And, and uh, those are the things that, you know, that, that says to us, we need to begin to look at different ways of assessment, um, you know, not to be prescriptive. But as you say, we then get to grade 12. Finally, this is says to, to be the situation. And that particular child will not perform simply because, you know, someone marking there was strictly looking at the memo and not allowing the, the child to bring what, um, you know, his that experience, his, you know, um, imagination and so on. So therefore, what it says is that it is really necessary and, and crucial that the, the way the education system is being looked at, it has to differ some way. Right. Um, we, we're going to listen to Simon Garfunkel now, and they're singing about times they are changing, which hashtag Evolve SA Education is all about. So let's listen to a last piece of music. Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. This is Radio Veritas, where you hear the good news for a change. You're listening to Changing Gear. We're talking about hashtag Evolve SA Education. Um, it's been a wonderful afternoon spent with the three of you. Um, I wonder if you could give me some final thoughts, Matilda. Um, I think we, the government has to relook into the system. And my thoughts would be to say, let's focus on the teachers, retrain the teachers so that they 
focus on the 21st century skills so that they can be imparted to their learners. And in the process of doing that, uh, we need, it is very important that um, as a country, we encourage the culture of reading. And, um, you know, in the process of government re-looking into the education system, um, it shouldn't be something that is being imposed, you know. Um, the, the need, it is important that everyone needs brought um, in, you know, parents have to come in and say, what is it that you want for our kids? The very learners, what is it that they, they want, you know, um, happen in the classroom? Mm. And, and, and therefore, solutions have to be brought in, integrate all the views of everyone, the learners, the parents, you know, the community. And this is what needs to happen. To Making education relevant. The kind of education system that we have. Um, I, I think uh, it's an opportune time to actually be talking about this, uh, especially seeing that we're talking now about a three-stream model in education, uh, where we have your academic, your technical, vocational, and technical occupational. Uh, we're still trying to figure that out as a department um, and as a nation. But I think that we, as we, 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 we do that, we should be also thinking about alternative uh, ways of assessing, because assessment is part of, of, of the system. It's not an afterthought that we, we should be thinking about, uh, because I think uh, the word uh, is inclusivity, not the way we've been thinking about it as if it means only children who are challenged and who have barriers to learning. Uh, inclusivity to, to realize, as we know as educators, that children uh, have different styles of learning, and surely different styles of learning uh, to a certain extent would also mean a different uh, ways mm. of responding mm. to assessment. Mm. And uh, I think that's uh, that's crucial for for a system uh, like ours uh, that is has so many challenges to 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 reflect on these issues. Thanks. Um, I just want to give a big shout out to the teachers out there that are working who are working so hard um, in their jobs. Um, we often hear the bad press, but just to say, you know, at St Dominic's, I've been looking at teachers from preschool all the way up into the FET band, and they really work very, very hard. And I know that so many teachers in South Africa are working so hard against all the odds. And I also like to say that yes, it's 21st century thinking, but a lot of what good teachers have been doing for centuries is it still works and be confident to use those tried and tested methods and to know that yes there's the caps and there's the final metric exam to worry about but to be to explore to to be confident to actually try the do those things that you know work I like to be shocking about the metric exam <laughs> and I was called on that by you Kathy but but um, I must say now, I do agree with you that uh, the way that the the exam has evolved over the last decade or so is different, even in the state exam. And, and Matilda spoke about the marking. Um, and I sometimes think the only real difference between the – I know English because I'm an English teacher, but the English exam in the state system and the English exam in IB, there is no difference in terms of the content and the and the style of the assessment. The difference is – you know, you often have um, you often have uh, m far fewer markers trying to deal with a much bigger pile of papers in the state system than what you do in the IB system, and so just the time available to give your your your, your thoughts to 
the, the marking and to find that answer and to consider whether or not the child has in fact answered the question, even if it's different from the memo, is part of the struggle is just resources and those poor teachers. I used to teach and I used to mark English literature uh, in the government system and, you know, those piles and piles and piles of papers that you have to get through and mark um, and it's going to have an impact. And maybe that's where assessment and different kinds of assessment can actually play a role. Because if you're not relying on a tired marker at four o'clock in the afternoon to find the marks in the paper, you may then find that, that you start to find the treasure that's in what the child has said, rather than just trying to you know, find the, the answers. I also want to say one last thing about Catholic education, because I think, you know, I know there's a Catholic Education Congress coming up this year. We're going to be talking in the Catholic Network about where we want Catholic education to go. Catholic education always used to be about hope. If we think back to the dark days of apartheid and we think about the role that Catholic schools, my own school, multiracial in 1976 in defiance of the apartheid government, um, the, the Catholic school was a place of hope. And I really worry that in the last decade, more and more, we've become so instrumental in what we're doing that we are losing giving hope to children. That's really, I think, the message of a Catholic education. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a generative education. It's a discourse of growth, not a discourse of deficit. Um, but the haves and have-nots exist in our, in our network. You know, the schools with the 60 million budget and the schools with the 10 million budget, they, they exist. Um, and we must face that and we must talk about it and we must do something about it. And the Catholic community of South Africa needs to stand up and be counted and be part of the solution. You're going to get to listen to As the Sun Sets with Father Emil next. It's been a great pleasure speaking to Matilda Ndaduzi and Catherine. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you to Radio Veritas for hosting this talk today. Um, and listeners, I hope you've uh, given some, been given some food for thought. Thank you. Radio Veritas, the good news for a change.